Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock and every Sunday at this time we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. And my guest in the program tonight is Karen Michelle Kimmett, who is a graduate of the University of Toronto, the Royal Conservatory of Music and the Ithaca College. And she is a Suzuki method teacher. Is that correct? Yes, you could say that's so. well at its most basic. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, but we're gonna. I want to understand more about the system, its methods, its philosophy, and exactly what you do and what you're doing in South Africa. And maybe that's a good place to start. What are you doing in South Africa? What I'm doing in South Africa is part of what I've been doing with my colleague uh, Christophe Boussoua for the last 17 years is working with teachers, South African teachers, sometimes also with teachers from neighboring countries such as um, Zimbabwe or Z uh, we've had people from Botswana. And these are string teachers, violinists primarily, though we also have cello, who've been very interested in how to work with young children with the Suzuki method which is, to segue into your opening remarks, is a way, as an approach to teaching music with young children beginning with ear training. And the Suzuki himself, Shinichi Suzuki, who, for whom this was pedagogy was named, he uh, had a strong feeling that if we gave the musical environment from an early age, surrounding people with the high quality classical music, that this would actually be a way of ins both inspiring and also giving children an environment that would help them develop as human beings and that contrary to what he had experienced in some parts of his life, that you could actually have some enjoyment while learning to become a very good musician. Does that suggest that perhaps some musicians don't have a lot of enjoyment while they're learning? When I think of the parents listening to practicing violinists. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is a very good point. Thank you for bringing this up so early. Um, the Yes, it's not to suggest that there isn't enjoyment, but sometimes there hasn't been, there might not be enjoyment, but the notion that in a, along with this environment that uh, Suzuki thought about is if we break things down into smaller steps, just as we would not ask uh, a baby who's just been born after uh, three months to say, okay, now please learn your first three words of vocabulary this week <laughs> and your six words uh, the following week, that if we provide the environment, that actually provides the incentive and the motivation to want to um, be to, to, to communicate, to socialize with other people. So really, it, it the idea that putting music in the environment just like your uh, language your native language is a way of really um, helping students not only develop their ears but also because they're the based on the folk songs his early repertoire based on the songs he heard was something that really inspired children and your first piece of music that you've chosen is by Claude Debussy it's the submerged cathedral Le Cathédrale Anglouti, that was the Submerged Cathedral by Claude Debussy, played by Peter Schmalfus. The choice of Karen Michelle Kimmett, who's my guest in People of Note. Karen, you were talking about, if I may just call you Karen rather yes, than Karen Michelle. Which, absolutely. <laughs> um, you were talking about sort of the, the, the almost the philosophy behind uh, Suzuki. What, what is he still alive, Suzuki? No, he, he passed away in 1998, January 1990, just a few months short of his 100th birthday. And, uh, I mean, it's been uh, an immense um, influence on music teaching. There, there are probably thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have been through this system now. Yes, and that that's absolutely correct. And... The first, initially, obviously, uh, Suzuki began with ch Japanese children, and it spread the idea, this approach to music teaching spread through Japan. And then, of the odd, by say odd, the uh, European American teachers began to hear about these students who were playing so exceptionally well, and not just one student, but many students who had developed a high 
ability, both as a musician and both as a instrumentalist. And so those first P Europeans and Americans who went to see what was going on, including uh, Pablo Casals, who uh, was able to attend a concert in the late 50s, and they were they were absolutely stunned by the quality of music and also perplexed. How is this? Because Japan, after the Second World War, was quite cut off from the rest of the world. Uh, world. And how is it that this uh, small Japanese man had inspired children to be so, and to play at such a high level with such a musicality and phrasing? And it's now a worldwide phenomenon. Yes, that's correct. And you, you are from Canada? Correct. And uh, is it widely used in Canada? Yes, it is. Now, we also very much, we have this similar influences, I believe, as in, class in classical music as you have in South Africa. So, in other words, we have a Royal Conservatory of Music, we have exam systems, but within those structures and establishments, we actually have teacher training, which is why I'm here in South Africa, but also we have the the pedagogy, the Suzuki training pedagogy courses happening right within the uh, Royal Conservatory of Music in Toronto and at the McGill University in Montreal. We're going to hear lots more about this because I think it's a fascinating subject. But your next choice is by the great Johann Sebastian Bach. It's a fugue in F minor from the well-tempered clavier. Wilhelm Kempf is the pianist. That was Wilhelm Kempf playing a fugue in F minor by Johann Sebastian Bach, the choice of Karen Michelle Kimmet, who's my guest in People of Note. One of the distinguishing things about Suzuki teaching is that, uh, as far as I've seen, people are taught in groups. It's not, well, I suppose there is individual teaching as well, but there's quite a lot of group activity. Yes. Um, th thank you so much for bringing up that aspect. Every Suzuki student actually has an individual lesson. They're, they have an individual lesson each week, or what some people call a private lesson, and in addition to the group lesson or ensemble lesson. So the individual lesson is, is a lesson such as we would have in whatever other method, traditional method, uh, conservatory method, but we also, the children are together right from the beginning in the, what we call pre classes, because it's the motivation. Also, we're learning many things. In the in initial classes, we're learning about rhythm, we're learning about doing things together, singing. So it has many aspects. We draw in many aspects from other early childhood musical methods of teaching. But the fact is that we're all, in addition, we're also working right up from the beginning by hearing the music that they're going to be playing, by singing the music, by finding the pulse, by doing things as a team. We're really beginning orchestra. We might be three years of age, but we're learning how to do things together. And with that will be the seeds of growing into the environment of playing Vivaldi and Bach in the future. Because music, uh, and the enjoyment of music is often done in a group situation. And I think one of, for me, one of the wonderful things about music is the group activity uh, that you can share with other people. Um, shared music making is something very special, I think, and very particular to the sort of thing that you and I do, which is I, I run choirs, you run ensembles, instrumental ensembles. And I think uh, one of the things that Suzuki seems to do is to train the ear, which is, after all, what music is all about. It's about listening and hearing. So uh, right from the beginning, it seems that that's an important part of your musical philosophy. Absolutely. The, when Suzuki himself, who after all was born in Japan and first heard the recordings that he managed to get his family of Fritz Kreisler, of Jacques Thibault, he was so moved and so profoundly touched by the sounds of this, these violinists. That's what, with no Germ German, no other language, motivated him to move to Germany to find a violin teacher and, and as an older student, uh, so to speak, begin the study of the violin and he was sure that by having this high quality music, hearing this high quality music and then having people play it together, as you say, there's something about that sharing right from the start 
and then uh, as it we grow in we're able to have the equipment to play the the uh, classical the great classical composers that there's something that will really stay with the student for life and here's one of our local string ensembles the Buscade Soweto string ensemble playing one of the Romanian dances or a couple of the Romanian dances by Bela Bartok that was applause for the Buscade Soweto string ensemble uh, they were led by Cabello Motomi, and that was some of the Romanian folk dances by Bela Bartok, the choice of Karin Michelle Kimet, who's my guest in People of Note. She's a Suzuki method teacher, and she comes from Canada. So just tell us exactly what you've been doing here. I know you've been here for a week or so, perhaps a bit longer, but tell us what you've been doing. Yes, thank you. So I've been coming here for a number of years to work with the teachers who sign up for the teacher, what we call teacher training courses. And these courses happen if a person is interested in becoming a Suzuki teacher. They happen three times a year in what we call modules. And within that course, so these are teachers coming from all over South Africa. We have had people from Port, uh, Port Elizabeth, uh, Cape Town, um, Stellenbosch, and, uh, and Johannesburg. Of course, and Pretoria, <laughs> yes, and Limpopo, I think. And so the teachers we work on, we're working on how to, uh, the approach with young children, also working on our own playing, and to be the best we can be in, in having a step-by-step -step learning with the students. And we too are making a team of musicians who play through the repertoire and we, we experience what it feels like to, in through the, so to speak, eyes or ears of a child, how to work together as a team, how to, how to break things down so that it is understandable and that also how to work with parents who, when possible, are also part of this early beginning because they'll be the ones who will be helping the, the very young student at home. At home, yes. Now, that's, I think that's also a very important thing because uh, it's an ongoing process. It's not just the lesson. There's in-between work to be done. And, and I'm sure parents are very much part of that. We hear about these dragon mothers who drive their children on. But someone needs to be supervising because children are not always self-motivated the whole time. Is that true, that someone needs to be there to help guide in-between times? Yes, it, it well certainly the as the f the enjoyable, if I could say it like this, the part a child may be easily pulled in in a group class thing, but during the week between lessons, and uh, it could it can be a parent, it can be an older student. We've ha we've had grandparents who work with with students, their child, their grandchildren very well, but it's that guiding initially that five minute practice, that ten minute practice until the child becomes of an age and where the routine of practice is established. Because at the end of the day, we, they're, they're of course, for example, as a violinist, it's very asymmetrical. It's, it's not two hands at a piano. There are things we, we are working against gravity. And so we need that help, that guidance. Now we're going to hear uh, a local violinist, Emmanuel Bach. Seems like a very German name, but he is local. Emmanuel Bach and his mother, Jenny Stern, playing Lotus Land by Cyril Scott. That was Lotus Land by Cyril Scott, played by Emmanuel Bach and Jenny Stern. I'm fascinated by the, the whole process of learning instruments, um, and I'm sure that music is like a plan for life, if you like. I mean, it's, it's a discipline for life. It teaches you maths because music is full of divisions and multiplications and fractions. Um, it's about shaping a phrase. It's about learning to listen to yourself, to each other. Uh, so there are many life lessons to be learned from music. And I'm sure there's something about this in the Suzuki method as well. Yes, absolutely. Just yesterday, we were speaking with the teachers. We were working with one of the more ad advanced ensembles in in the uh, Suzuki schools of in Johannesburg, 
and that these these preteens or these students are, as you say, learning to listen to each other, learning to be inspired by quality. We were speaking to students about going up, getting recordings of the very best, having the students be listening and watching other orchestras, the importance of supporting live music. And all of these things, as you say, are part of a life plan. And certainly in our own school, in where I teach, and I know this happens here as well, is we have ongoing um, concert series. It, we have over 30 <laughs> different events per year that could be as uh, informal, but still with a serious purpose, is playing for a retirement or elderly person's home, but there are also recitals and concerts in, in world-class stages, which uh, will happen next week, and the previous artist was Midori, and the one before that was Sarah Chang. And so the students know by encouraging this live music, and that the music itself becomes a dear friend. Yes, I've been very privileged to have had many former students who are now concert artists and, le and leading violinists in major orchestras, but more importantly, and just as importantly to me, they are wonderful human beings who at the drop of a hat will show up at my door in a snowstorm with strings to bring for a uh, project in Attridgeville for our, one of our teachers, Betsy Mayer, uh, uh, who runs that project there. And to me, that they have developed as human beings this sensitivity and openness and willingness to listen to others, as you mentioned previously. This is this is very, very important and part of Suzuki's message. And is Suzuki method widely used in Canada? Yes, we, we have it, it, it. Interestingly enough, that's a good question. It's a very big country, <laughs> and, <laughs> and in a certain way, we have we ha we do have we can find teachers from the east to the west, We're, but nonetheless, even from my own home, uh, where I te where I teach, you can go in two directions, and the next teacher, the Suzuki teacher, you'll find is over four four hours away, so there's still great room for development. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I do, I do teacher training in the Royal Conservatory. And um, and and but having said that, as these former Suzuki students grow up and have both a performing career or decide to go into teaching full time, so we have entire generations now in the courses who may have graduated from the top uh, institutions in America, for example, the Juilliard or Cleveland School of Music, Eastman, and they were all former Suzuki students, but coming back to become the future teachers. Gabriel Fauré is your next choice, Après une rêve, Zanta Hoffmeyer and Jean-Louis Mulman, accompanied by Malcolm Ney. Beautiful music by Gabriel Fauré, Après une rêve, Zanta Hoffmeyer, Jean-Louis Mulman and Malcolm Ney performing. Do you think that there were elements of Suzuki's methods in previous generations before Suzuki was around? Absolutely, absolutely. There was there the fact that we have to be in. First of all, it's quite simply that he was inspired by these wonderful violinists. And if you think of Fritz Kreisler himself, growing up in a family where his father was a musician, his brother's cellist, and that Johannes Brahms came on Sunday afternoon to play string quartets with his father. This is the musical environment that Shinichi Suzuki was speaking about. And I think it's it's quite clear that the at the time that we have people such as Maria Montessori, many people coming up uh, who uh, began to think about children and environment and having music. So yes, of course, or we have even the famous Leopold Mozart with his son. <laughs> with a well, and, and Bach with his yes. family of children. Yes, yes. the, the, the in-house string orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But he really codified it and formalized it. Uh, Suzuki did, so that so that people could could teach the, a particular method. Yes, um, Suzuki himself actually did not like the word method, and it took many years before these books could be published. And the many of his uh, essays and his writings were only discovered upon his passing, upon his death. So because he was constantly evolving, he was always researching what will make it easier for the next child to have um, access to be able to perform these composers. So w it, it is a, in a state of evolution all the time, as I think any good pedagogy and is. And still is. Yes, yes, absolutely. So different from when I began or when I first became interested in this teaching. And indeed, to be really frank, I come from a very sport, uh, highly um, motivated and highly um, 
uh, developed sports sports background. And as a child, I always wondered, why is it that though I had a good, so to speak, piano and violin teachers, I think, and for the most part, it was in the groups, this group sport that you, you could be under a hot sun all day long and not have a problem, but to do seven minutes by myself of my A major scale sometimes was difficult to be motivating. So this, this for me, this idea of having doing something as a team, and Suzuki saw that, that if you do things as a team, and the power of tone, just as in your choirs, the power of having beautiful tone, collective tone, is something that resonates through your whole life. Yeah, and, and still does for me, because I've just been down in the Western Cape conducting a university orchestra down there. And we played, amongst other things, uh, Capriccio Italien by Tchaikovsky. And I can tell you the, the power at the end of that piece is just something special. And it's thrilling. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. Absolutely it, it, thrilling. It, yeah. absolutely, it ab absolutely marks you. Even in the quiet passages at the beginning where the strings are all playing in unison, piano or pianissimo, it's something very special. In fact, perhaps more special when it's quiet. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Cesar Franck is your next choice. This is the fourth yeah. movement from the Violin Sonata in A major, Itzhak Perlman and Marta Agerich. That was Itzhak Perlman and Marta Agerich performing the fourth movement of the Violin Sonata in A major by Cesar Franck. Just looking at the names that are appearing here on the, the list of your choices, is it possible for you to say that many leading violinists now perhaps have been through a system such as this? I would, would, would say that many lady, leading violinists have either t are teachers, currently teachers, for example, uh, Pinkus Zuckerman has worked um, with m my former students, my former students who have performed, in fact, for uh, Mr. Zuckerman's retirement from the National Arts Centre Orchestra, performed the Bach double with um, with uh, Itzhak Perlman. There's a there's a real awareness that pedagogues, that the pedagogy of teaching the violin is actually when it's well done, it's universal. It doesn't have the, the really these walls of this is this method, and there's preconceptions. And we speak about this actually on the course that there there have been great pedagogues when in my time teaching in France and at the uh, uh, we had joint classes the conservatoire in um, Paris with with the school Suzuki school I went because the the teachers were always interested in doing better things the best we can with our students, and that we all have things to share. And the fact that, yes, it's true what you say, that many of the leading schools uh, these days, they, the people entering it or graduating, they have had a Suzuki background. And do some of them, uh, I'm just thinking of some of the, the more prominent ones, do they promote it in, in a special way, saying, you know, this is a good method, so use it? Because that's how things do spread, of course, if, if well-known people promote them. Uh, yes, I think in many er many places th this is happening, and it's also if a, if a top leading performer who's also giving master classes becomes increasingly aware of, of what's really behind. For example, some of the stere the stereotypes you uh, mentioned that it's only group, or that because we see a child in in the process of learning something, therefore it's not the highest quality yet. But the fact is that Suzuki's um, notion that step by step, so to, to say it other, in other words, some of <laughs> my former leading students who are uh, having international careers, if you had met them at the age of eight or 10, you might not have thought, you might have thought, Mm, perhaps this person should think of basketball, <laughs> and but they had the they had the inner drive, the motivation, and also they had a supportive environment, which, as I said before, is can be is, is apparent. But it also we've seen extraordinary things in both the township projects in South Africa, but also I've worked with special needs children, what the, what the terms in, used in Canada, and. The, what music for them, that universal thing, and how their performance and playing from the heart, you, you, you don't know. That, they, what, what that special needs turns into special gift. Here we're going to hear a duet now played by Pit Kurenhoff and Gerard Korsten. 
two of our South African violinists, the composer Reinhold Glier. Piet Kurenhoff and Gerard Korsten playing a duet by Reinhold Glier, just two violins. And I think that also needs a special discipline because it's such a refined sound. It's like playing a, a solo partita, for example, which uh, is also a very special thing that one has to do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And this, uh, going back to with students playing together, whether it's in du a duo or a trio, quartet or a small ensemble, learning to be curious about your instruments. This this music by Reinhold Glier really, the the what 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 makes the sound of a violin so special? How could, how is it that the sound of the violin is considered very close to the human voice, and right from the beginning, not only the beauty of the instrument, but being curious about the sound, this this will may help the children to make the, the music, classical music in general, become something for life. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch, and my guest tonight is Karen Michelle Kimmett, who is a graduate of the University of Toronto, the Royal Conservatory of Music, and the Ithaca College. And we're talking about Suzuki Method. It's just about 7 o'clock. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back after this. That was the second movement, the Allegretto from the Symphony No. 7 in A major by Beethoven, played by the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra under Sir Simon Rattle. In a moment, I want to ask you about your sporting background, because I see that you're a winter sports enthusiast. But just before we do that, there's a good example here where the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra cultivates a particular sound and uh, they've done that presumably because of tradition perhaps because of the instruments that they have there and a style of playing and can I ask um, my guest Karen Michelle Kimmett who is a Suzuki teacher does the Suzuki method encourage a particular type of sound or does that depend on who's directing it uh, or is there a particular sound that you create? To answer that, I would say that each, one part of the short answer is that each teacher will take this approach to teaching music and bring their own background as a musician and as a violinist to, be, to helping students find their sound. And it's such a it's it's wonderful that you refer this to the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra, because for example, in working with my students, if they were to be listening this particular piece, we, I'm asking I want them to listen to that with an imagination, finding the the story behind that not only the sound but behind Beethoven's music. What was he saying there? What does it say in their own lives through through the through sound, the voice of sound? So that it help we're helping the students to find their own sound. So when a, a performance is there, or what, for example, in my own teaching, my own studio, our senior students by that time, I mean, students have been playing for a number of years, they are they are the ones leading the concert. They are the not the teachers. They are the ones who have got that leadership, that sound. They've they've got a sufficient number of um, both leadership skills, conducting skills, ensemble leading, and it's terrific. It's in very inspiring and terrific to see to hear over time how that the sound of each group becomes unified and then the also the sensitivity if one member's away if one mem graduates graduates to university then the ensemble is different and we're missing or not having this violin there and so this is um yes it's very important this creation of sound but i would not say that there is the sound it's a, a li uh, ongoing it's living an research. Thing. Yes, yes. That, that we're looking for. Obviously, the elements of good tone, of good sound with intonation, um, re development of the bow, all the things a string player has to have. Yes, but it's it is organic and it's ongoing. Your next choice is a piano piece by Chopin, a waltz in E flat major. Ingrid Fleiter is the pianist. Frederick Chopin's Waltz in E-flat major, played by Ingrid Fleiter, the choice of Karen Michelle Kimmett, my guest in People of Note. And perhaps this is a good moment to ask uh, whether the Suzuki method is applicable to other instruments. Do, do you have 
uh, Suzuki method in wind instruments, for example, or piano? Yes. We have the Suzuki method has been developed for many instruments, the, the flute, uh, actually re more recently the trumpet, and we have it for piano for a long time, cello, we also have for singing, we have it for many different instruments that sometimes, yes, have to be adopted initially, and for recorders, so it has developed in I would say almost all of the instrumental groups, we have the double bass, the size down double basses, which are really something uh, to, to see and to hear for the first time, but uh, extraordinary. And indeed, uh, it's in you probably have already sensed from this list, I actually began myself, my life as a pianist, and I've had the good fortune to study with many fine teachers. But f right from a pretty early age, I realized that if I also studied the violin, then I'd be playing with others. <laughs> And more frequently, and <laughs> my double major in university in in when I began my studies in the University of Toronto, I was permanently an accompanist also in the string department <laughs> because I just did that aspect of of playing and collaborating with others, what be it with choirs as a pianist, whether it just seemed very very important to me. Though I had not at that time, of course, even ever heard of the Suzuki method. Yeah, but this yeah, because we talked about that earlier about the 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 joy that comes from making music with other people. Yes. And I think that's a, a very important aspect of music making. But I just want to go for a moment, because earlier on you mentioned about being um, a, a sports enthusiast, and a, a lot of sports is playing in teams. And I often say to audiences, you know, just look at an orchestra on the stage. It's, it's a big sports team, basically, and it needs... I think I think it needs more discipline than sport because there's much more fine um, coordination required in an orchestra. People really have to be sensitive to what's going on around them. The ball is passing from one player to another, one group to another, and it's very sensitive work. And I think it's, it's more disciplined than a sports team. Do, do you have any comments on that? Yes, actually, it's a, it's a, that's a, a very good um, observation. In, in fact, when we're sitting in orchestra, if we think about it, many of the orchestra members can't see each other, whereas if you're running up the soccer field, your, your whole idea is to watch the, see the ball and keep it in your eyesight or a hockey game or anything like that. So, yes, it's, it, you also have to have your own individual, pr in some ways, though not at the highest level, but you have to have your own individual practice time. Otherwise, you just cannot be a member of that team. And it requires both the, the stamina, it requires the mental discipline, the daily discipline, and also that you are, you, you, you as in, in parallel, though, with the sports team, you're working towards a greater whole. So you individually are contributing to the, to the team. Now, to pick up on your your own winter sports enthusiasm. Were you part of a, a team of some sort in winter sports, or were you a, a solo skier or a <laughs> tobogganer or whatever it was? Yes. Well, actually, um, to be to make I'm sure for a South African, this is uh, quite a funny thing. But I had my first skates when I was two and a half years of age <laughs> in the backyard, and so I've been I've been ice skating my entire life, and did play on one of the first uh, girls' hockey teams, just local. Um, but um, but more on the teams would be in more of the summer sports, such as baseball, which as some of our teachers here know, um, I was on a called a triple A team, was playing extremely well, and um, was hit in the hand with, with when trying to hit the ball, had a broken finger, still ran to second base before fainting. <laughs> but the hardest part of that whole experience was telling my piano teacher, who I was just prepared for my Royal Conservatory grade eight exam why I would be unable to take that exam. And because I I sort of promised that I would not be indulging in sports such as that, at quite that level. So that was a little bit of a difficult moment. However, However, your piano career recovered. Yes, I, I have my performance <laughs> degree, <laughs> degree from the Royal Conservatory. Yes, it did recover, as did my finger. <laughs> Thank you for asking. <laughs> and to the, in terms of the winter sports, um, the, for myself, uh, the analogies of, of um, skiing and skating, there's so much that's like the bow on the violin. We, you know, in our, in 
people think always we must invest in such a great violin and it doesn't matter too much about the bow but the bows everything the bows the voice it's the voice for a singer if you have no air it doesn't matter how high a note you can sing you, we will not hear it and so the the movement of the the skis on the snow and it's a moment it's 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 physically exhilarating but it also for me has many things you you have to listen to your skis you have to listen to your skates you're going to do what we call a head plant and also it's a a great moment to be part of a part of nature and if we think of our composers of uh, we think of the four seasons whether it's Vivaldi we think of the water music Beethoven yes yeah. we we are com are composed many many composers consistently inspired by nature so that being in uh, the winter sports for me, yes, it's a winter sport, and all that's physical and um, really an, an enjoyable, but it's also something that gives great inspiration to me. A longer piece now is your next choice. This is by Rafe Vaughan Williams, Fantasia on a theme of Thomas Tallis. Uh, this is played by the Busgate Soweto String Ensemble. Wonderful playing there from the Busgate Soweto String Ensemble under Rosemary Nalden. That was the Fantasia on the theme of Thomas Tallis by Rafe Vaughan Williams, the choice of Cara and Michelle Kimmett. And winter sports, obviously, because we're just talking, we were talking about winter sports. You obviously come from, where do you live now, by the way? I live in a well, a very isolated place between Toronto and Montreal. That's my base. However, I won't tell you how many nights I actually sleep in my <laughs> home. <laughs> but it's a cold the, place in winter. It's been a very cold winter. It's still snowing. <laughs> it's so. And when we say cold, just give us an idea. Yes, this was a very difficult winter. It was for the month of January. Since Christmas Eve, the high was minus 18. We had many nights. The high was, was minus, minus 18. 28. Minus 20. It's uh, exceptionally cold. Yeah. Um, not s as much snow as sometimes, but uh, yes. You want to make sure your instruments are well protected. <laughs> well, and yourself, I yes. think. <laughs> yes. Otherwise you'll freeze. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And and one of your other hobbies I see is gardening. And with this, with the, the snow there, I mean, if you've had a very cold winter, the snow will be there for a long time. Yes, um, it's true. It's a much shorter season than you would have perhaps in South Africa. But we, we do have... Um, we do obviously have a season in, in fact, Canada has many agricultural areas. And in where I am, I have a, quite a garden of uh, um, heritage lilies, but also vegetable garden. Again, I find that all very insp uh, inspirational and also a way of balancing the work that um, the intense work we do with teachers and students around the world. Do you come from a musical family? No, I come from a, from a sports family, although I have to say my parents very, very much loved jazz and the blues. That was in my home from the very, very beginning and until the very, very um, elderly age, they were still going to jazz clubs and blues. So that also, too, affected, affected me because I always wondered, how is it that people can improvise so well and, have, and that, that really intrigued me? Why don't we have more inspirational moments or ideas on the violin and you know of course there have been that's happened over the ages but that aspect has also touched my teaching so i'm grateful for that and uh, do you encourage your students to improvise oh yes absolutely yes we just had a class the other day where <laughs> based based on a very simple of the twinkle twinkle little star it it transformed into d minor we had all kinds of shifts we had concerts and these very these pretty young students uh, and turned it then into a tango a tango rhythm and I think they could have been playing for another hour there <laughs> but but it was involving violin skills taking chances and saying let's make it our own <laughs> Domenico Scarlatti is your next choice this is one of his many sonatas Ivo Pogorodic is the pianist Domenico Scarlatti that was a sonata in E major played by Ivo Pogorodic the choice of Karin Michelle Kimmet who's my guest in People of Note I noticed that you've done Suzuki teaching or teaching uh, in many places in Africa. And we, we tend to think down here at the bottom end of Africa that, you know, we don't really know what goes on too much in the rest of Africa. But I see you've been in Morocco, for example, and you've had students from, from West Africa, from the Congo. Uh, just give us an idea of what 
goes on in a place like Morocco, for example. Yes, uh, that actually was a, uh, a, tour, a tour of students of mine from Paris with uh, connection, family connections in Rabat and Casablanca. So we took um, 12, 14 students and we played in the conservatories and various other places, the Alliance Francaise, for, for example, but also with many teachers coming to watch and learn, and one of them actually came, who was a graduate of the conservatory system, became yeah. interested. So then came as sort of ongoing yeah. back and forth. But I mean, you've, you just mentioned there in passing that there's a conservatoire in Absolutely. Morocco yes. of teaching Western music as well as indigenous music. Absolutely. And, and quite established, this would be uh, based on the con French conservatory system, conservatory system, but absolutely conservatory as you might find anywhere in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because just the other day I was Googling something and I came across a Moroccan orchestra, which obviously because it was um, a video, I could see was Moroccan people playing, or what I took to be Moroccan people, I guess they were. Uh, the whole orchestra was uh, made up of what looked to me like Moroccan people. Yes. And this is this was something new to me. I, I didn't know that there was an orchestra in Morocco, but obviously there is. Yes. and Probably more than one. Yes, and, and in Cairo, Egypt, one of my former students who, stu who moved there to study there as well, there's a very fine orchestra and conservatory in, in uh, Cairo. And so the what sometimes happens is kind of the the students move or change uh, or change countries cities and then the people in those cities become very interested well how did this young person uh why are they playing so well or what what why why are they really interested in orchestral music and then that in turn uh builds a curiosity in the pedagogy and then we have people from coming from that yeah, and i know there are orchestras in west africa and certainly in east africa uh, kenya and uganda there are orchestras so it's it's something that's growing. Would you say growing in Africa? I would say yes. 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 And and still growing in Canada. Absolutely. Absolutely. More, more and more young people in orchestras and ensembles. Yes. I from just in, in speaking with people from here, I, th I think it's it's fair to say that um, the some in, some orchestras, some institutions are have been previously are or previously uh, supported by public funding and this remains always a, is an ongoing issue in Canada or America or, or anywhere or even in France where previously the tuition was free to be in the conservatoire and now you have to pay something so the, the, the classical music has to continue to find its place wherever we are in the in the globe but thankfully there are both students and parents and teachers who feel deeply that we must do what we can to support it. And here was someone who adapted himself to the changing times, George Frederick Handel. This is part of one of his keyboard suites played by Angela Hewitt. That was Angela Hewitt playing the second movement of a keyboard suite by George Frederick Handel, the choice of Karen Michelle Kimmett, who is here in South Africa teaching uh, Suzuki method classes to teachers and students. And after the break, which we'll have after our next piece, we're going to hear about uh, an event coming up that uh, will be uh, happening as part of the Suzuki teaching classes that are held in South Africa. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027, and my guest is Karen Michelle Kimmett, and we were hearing that she comes from Canada, from a very cold part of Canada, and uh, I guess... Uh, cold and warmth are all about music because music is such an amazing thing. I, I never fail to be stunned by how wonderful it is. And I, I mentioned earlier, I've just been in Cape Town and you were talking about motivation of parents and students and so on. And we have been through some difficult times for music in South Africa and I'm sure there are going to be more difficult times. And in fact, at the beginning of the concert, I spoke to people and said, if this is what you like, you, the audience, are going to have to make sure that it continues. So you need to go and inspire your friends to come to concerts, support them, set up bursary funds or scholarship funds, because that's what we need. And I'm sure it's the same in Canada. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, the you mentioned an important point there, the, li the live concerts, supporting musicians on, on stage, and also making sure that the youngest generation also has 
access to these experiences. Sometimes we can think, well, well, when they're teenagers and they can sit quietly or older, but we, we really, they can be sitting on the edge of a pew with concerts in the church, or if it's time to leave at the break. And but people are often stunned at how our own students, for example, because of their own recitals, things they could they can easily sit for an hour, an hour and a half, and just be enthralled. And of course, for a very young student, you ask, how did what did you enjoy? What, what piece did you enjoy the most by by Midori? And I loved her dress. <laughs> but that's but that's part of the experience, the whole experience. And yeah. when we think of, uh, we've also have we have a, a wonderful concert at the beginning of December, for example, where I am with uh, very high level playing but it's always followed by a magnificent reception and you know people will say oh the children will say oh is this the concert where we're going to have the great food but indeed when whether it's mozart or in handel's time food and music and uh, and being social all work together and this is putting this together as part of the whole experience is what will help to keep it alive as you so aptly said wise words from karen michelle kimmett who's my guest in people of note on classic 1027 that was the Scherzo Furiant from the Piano Quintet in A Major by Antonin Dvorak. Clifford Curzon was playing with the Vienna Philharmonic Quartet. And that was the choice of Karin Michelle Kimmett, my guest in People of Note. Welcome back to the final hour of People of Note on Classic 1027. My guest is uh, a renowned teacher from Canada who's visiting South Africa, Karin Michelle Kimmett a graduate of the University of Toronto, the Royal Conservatory of Music. I take that's the Royal Conservatory in Canada, Canada and also Ithaca College. And she's been teaching in many places in the world. Just where have you been teaching in the world? I know Morocco, South Africa, uh, France. So, yes, I lived in France for almost 20 years in Lyon and Paris and have taught also in most of the European countries at very various times uh, from Spain to to Germany to um, Holland and the wonderful thing and uh, of course on this continent in Zimbabwe where for the last two years been working with groups of teachers from Zimbabwe and also with one from Zambia and the wonderful thing is about the, the universality of music that ch children everywhere can be um, can have music in their lives irregardless of their economic background, their cultural background. Of course, we, whenever possible, for example, in our school in Canada, we try to really promote living Canadian composers. So we, um, our upcoming concert for us is with two composers who have written specifically for our ensembles who are, um, have had their works performed in Carnegie Hall and, and have won, won indeed the equivalent of the Grammy Award. And so they we have them working with young students. And then we're here in South Africa, and a very tip, something that happens all over the world is having an annual Suzuki concert. So, And I think what we're going to do is listen to some music by Edward Lalo, and then we're going to hear all about this concert that's coming up. This is the second movement, the Scherzando from the Sinfonie Espagnole. That was the second movement, the Scherzando from the Symphonie Espagnole by Edward Lalo, Maxim Vengerov performing with the Philharmonia Orchestra under Antonio Papano. And now let's just hear exactly what is going to happen here. On Sunday, the 20th of May, we've got the Suzuki Annual National Concert. It's happening in the morning, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Linda Auditorium in Parktown. And... There will also be uh, the Witz Trio performing under Zanta Hofmeyer, a well-known South African teacher, also of violin, Malcolm Ney, and Susan Mouton. And presumably there'll be lots of Suzuki students performing. Yes. Um, the I believe there are over 120, 130 Suzuki students will be from, from all over South Africa. Uh, these this time will be mostly from uh, the Joburg yes. and um, Pretoria. Pretoria. Yes, in the past we've had had uh, students coming from Cape Town and from Durban, and the there will be both violin and cello at this concert, and the as as well as the Wits Trio. And the students are working together. Students are come from of many Suzuki teachers. There are actually at the moment 25 member teachers of the Suzuki uh, 
South African Suzuki Association. And so there's these collaborations between either between cities or between groups of teachers. So on this particular Sunday, May 20th, there will be 120 students performing. 25 teachers and growing. Yes, absolutely. We we just started this past week um, with one of people working with me, with Lee Marais. We have um, got a new group of teachers, and yes, it is growing because there is a real demand. Oh, the other thing that interests me is you said violin and cello. What about the violas? Yes, that's we actually had a viola student, but there just there was there was one who we thought might feel a bit shy in the concert <laughs> with these groups. But you're absolutely right. The viola is uh, developing. Is uh, really we there was the one student at the group y- class yesterday, and this is also developing. Yeah, because I guess it has to be a, a slightly. Uh, older student who can cope with the the additional size of the viola. Good question. The, um, in our school, we have very or do you young have students. small violas. Yes, we. It's a uh, French luthier, Bernard Sabatier, who I've uh, worked with for many many years, over thirty years, and he developed a viola where the one shoulder is slightly cut away from the very smallest size. Very beautiful instrument, very beautiful sound. So it's not uncommon to see a group of fifteen, twenty, very young violists now going through the method, which of course is wonderful for orchestras and for their beautiful tone that they that the richness they add now we're going to hear claude debussy this is a piece called beau anna sophie muta playing the violin lambert orcus playing the piano that was a piece called beau by claude debussy i'm interested to know whether uh suzuki himself wrote music did he yes he did he in there in the beginning of pedagogy he wrote pieces that he felt that would help the young students and he also wrote other pieces later on and ex- both exercises and things that he thought would work very well for young string ensembles we that was not his main aim, but he, was, he frequently did that as from a pedagogical point yes. of view. But nonetheless, these pieces have become very much staples yes. of, of part of the teaching approach. And ensemble pieces as well. Yes. yes. So we went, we yes. had a book entitled um, Home Concerts, where we yeah. things divided into three and four part harmonies. Yeah. Yes. But I guess there's lots of repertoire that you use for these concerts as well from the, the standard repertoire. Absolutely, mm. uh, both and arrangements that we've arranged, had arranged. I mean, my own since in the past year, just the past year alone, I played everything from Piazzolla to playing. Um, the upcoming concert would be Carmen Bizet's Carmen as part of an orchestral uh, experience. And yes, we we're always looking for new music. I know that uh, um, the very fine composer who lived here many time, years for many years, Michael Hankinson, arranged pieces and wrote pieces specifically for Suzuki ensembles. So in this particular concert, which is coming up on the 20th of May, just give the listeners a feel for what they may hear. They're going to hear 120 young string players playing in smaller groups and larger groups, or mostly a larger group? Yes, good question. So there, there's a range from the very, very youngest students to students who've had a number of years of um, le- uh, learning to play the violin. So there'll be a ra- that range will they'll have fewer students uh, playing, and they will be playing some some Baroque, some classical, some uh, Romantic composers, and so. They won't be all, t- all t- 120 at once, except near the end. And then, of course, there'll be a, a section which will be just the cellist alone, and then also where there'll be the cellist and violinist combined. And do you get the teachers to play? Yes, the teachers help and lead, and sometimes they sometimes they will be playing in um, specific uh, events. As I mentioned earlier in our own school, the teachers tend we have enough uh, students and a range of level that don't do so much with the teachers, but definitely that's highly motivational for the students as well. So this can all be heard on Sunday the 20th of May, 10.30 a.m. at the Linda Auditorium in Parktown. And if you want tickets, you can go to Ticket Web. It's the Suzuki Annual National Concert, which is happening there. And I apologize, listeners, for the strange drilling sounds in the background. I'm not sure what's going on somewhere in the building around us there drilling. It's not your radio reception that's funny. It's definitely happening here. Johannes Brahms is the next choice. This is Mark Nixon, South African pianist, playing the intermezzo in A major. Mark Nixon playing 
the intermezzo in A major by Johannes Brahms, well-known and very sensitive South African pianist. This was the choice of Karen Michelle Kimmett, who's my guest in People of Note. In your travels around the world, have you come across uh, any nations or groups where you've detected a sort of natural ability for string playing? I mean, is it something that goes in nations, or is it just where there's a good teacher, there's going to be good string players? I, I would say that it, mus, mus, just as in singing, that music, if the good teacher certainly helps, definitely helps, um, uh, uh, prerequisite, but on everywhere on the planet, that we uh, there are wonderful string players, and there are children children who are really enjoying and their families who really come to appreciate classical music and it's interesting to me is that students graduate or grow whatever of the country and I've heard this from other teachers as well is that when you when they leave or you have a thank you note it's not so much about the violin thank you for years of violin lessons and for uh, but it's our whole family was given the gift of music. So many people put their, have their children, they're, they're either inspired to hear a young ch child play, or they've had a group come to their school, and they see, wow, this is so wonderful to see these students doing this together, as well as playing in this soccer game. And they then that transforms the entire family. So Because what was very interesting for me, when I was uh, a starting out teacher, I taught in a choir school, and the, the, so the, we had 18 boys who were in a cathedral choir, and they were mostly the best at music and at sport and academically. And there seemed to be some correlation between uh, the music making and ability in other fields. Have you, have you noticed this at all? The, I think the, the discipline, it could be the discipline of sport, it could be the a discipline of music or one of the other art forms, but certainly when students do something frequently over a period of time, years, and have both that daily discipline, also the tremendous satisfaction of sharing that discipline, such as music, with others, that 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 in turn, because the school becomes more difficult or they have more homework or they're heading towards matric, they have to learn about time management. They have to learn about being disciplined. And so I think those kinds of, of how, how to um, organize your life perhaps also contributes to these, so to speak, better math mocks or something. But it's, it's the overall, uh, not only that, but learning to listen to yourself and what I often say to my students, well, someone will say, well, you must have, re you must have, what's the difference in the really great students you have? I don't use those terms myself. And I'll say, it's really simple. It's those people who practiced on the days they didn't feel like it. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and it's quite, really quite true. Yeah. Uh, even those who really love music, there are moments where or the, the discipline of it, you can, um, and it, there is, in our, perhaps in South Africa, I don't know, but certainly in, in North America and in Europe, sometimes we have a tendency that children, if the minute that something goes a little bit wrong or it's not, or something's not easy, then we'll switch to something else. Let's try guitar next week. Let's try. In fact, it's that perseverance, learning to have that inner and that self-discipline, which transmits to many other activities. And certainly even the, one of the things when I mentioned earlier about our own students leading concerts is that they learn to have poised, to smile, to to bow with and look somebody in the eye. And in fact, if you read, which I happen to have this third love of reading um, business journals and the Harvard Business Review, what do they say about recent, recent graduates who are brilliant in their IT forms or whatever? Is they've lost the ability to sh to shake hands, look someone in the eye, to be interested in the other because they spend their days looking at a screen, and so I think this valuable the live music aspect carries into so many things in life. Coming up now is the second movement from the violin sonata in B flat major by Mozart. Arthur Grunio is the violinist, and Clara Haskell accompanies. That was part of a violin sonata in B-flat major, 
the second movement. It was by Mozart. Arthur Grunier was the violinist. Clara Haskell played the piano. And it was the choice of Karen Michelle Kimmett, who's my guest in People of Note. And she's been in South Africa running workshops. Is that a, is that a fair description of what you've been doing? Yes, we, we tend to have uh, teacher training courses. Teacher training yes, courses. Yes, and I've been doing this for a number of years with my colleague Christophe Boussois from Lyon, France. Doing it here in South Africa? Yes, yes. for uh, 17, up to 18 years. Oh, really? Yes, we've been coming two or three times a year. Yeah. Yes, yes. Two or three times a year, that's quite often. Yes, it is. There have been a few years where we only came come once, yeah. either scheduling or because uh, it was just time for t certain teachers to take a break, but yes. But also good that you come away from the ice and snow. And Or do you <laughs> like the ice and snow? I do. <laughs> <laughs> I like it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful because uh, it's particularly when you've had a hard winter, such as you have, uh, it must be nice to get some sunshine anyway. So yes. I'm glad you're here for that. And we have had some beautiful weather. We've had some some cloudy weather while you've been here too but today it's uh, been beautiful and I'm sure it'll be beautiful when you have this concert on the 20th of May also now your next choice is Antonin Dvorak and it's the humoresque in G flat major Yo-Yo Ma, Itzhak Perman the Boston Symphony Orchestra conducted by Seiji Ozawa the beautiful humoresque in G-flat major by Antonin Dvorak, Yo-Yo Ma, Itzhak Perman, and the Boston Symphony Orchestra under Seiji Ozawa. And I just need to ask you, Karen, do you have favorite uh, string composers that you think write beautifully for your instrument? The list is very long. long. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. So you like lots yeah. of music? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I do. And uh, the... Certainly, as a student, I was thinking about this in preparation. The, there are certain key moments when I heard, for example, myself, the, for the first Vivaldi double violin concerto in, in A minor uh, with orchestra, and as a young student, just and the Bach double. And in fact, very interestingly, the Bach double was performed when I was a young student by um, Itzhak Perlman and Pinkus Zuckerman with the Toronto Symphony. And somewhere in my archives, I have the signed programs. Little did I know that this would be one of the pieces that is one of the key pieces that is in the Suzuki repertoire and that I would be teaching and working with children all over the world and including taking my own students to China last year to perform in five of the major concert halls with this particular work. So, yes. And, and just give us a brief insight into that because from what one hears, there are concert halls being built at a rate of knots in China, so there must be a growing audience for classical music and for concerts, live audiences, and, and lots of string players. Wherever you go now, you see Oriental people playing in symphony orchestras. Yes, so in, in Ch uh, China itself, it's very interesting. The, the orchestral, the, the Shanghai, of course, the, there are orchestras, but for youth, it's still rather in its infancy. And we had the experience of sharing an evening of, with a fine conductor of, of with a, one of the orchestras, uh, youth orchestras there. The, but in all the other Asian countries as well, and in, whether it's in Taiwan or whether it's in um, the uh, in Indonesia, that there's a very strong um, both love of the mu of string music and development of orchestral players and of orchestras, absolutely. Which is wonderful, and I'm sure there's a growing interest here too. Wherever I travel around the country, there are wonderful youth groups uh, developing in yes. South Africa, and the irony is that uh, even as they are developing, the funding for symphony orchestras, for example, is diminishing. So, as we were saying earlier, we have to find other ways of doing these things. And we will, yes. because we have, over the years, we found different niches and different ways of supporting these things. Yes. Because we all love to listen to the music that's played on Classic 1027, so, but we do need to hear it live also. And we're going to hear now the second movement from the Symphony Number no. 4 by Brahms, the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra under Sir Simon Rattle. That was the second movement, Andante Moderato from the Symphony No. 4 in E minor by Johannes Brahms, 
The Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra was conducted by Sir Simon Rattle, and it was the final choice of Karin Michelle Kimmet, who's been my guest in People of Note on Classic 1027. She's a graduate from Toronto University and the Royal Conservatory of Music and the Ithaca College, and she's been in South Africa working with uh, Suzuki teachers and developing their skills because this is something which is growing in South Africa and spreading. And you can see the results of what they do on Sunday the 20th of May at 10.30 a.m. at the Linda Auditorium in Parktown. And if you want tickets, you can get them through Ticket Web. The Witz Trio also will be performing at that concert. It's the Suzuki Annual National Concert. And I'm sure if you want more information about Suzuki teaching in South Africa, there's probably a website yes, somewhere. There is, there is a website. Yes, there is. You can just Google South African Suzuki Association and you will immediately come upon the website. There you are, South African Suzuki Association. And I just want to say thank you very much indeed to Karen Michelle for coming on the program, taking time out from your winter sports to come and, and talk to us here and to work with our teachers because that's the important part is developing a love of the music that we all love in our young people. So thank you very much for that. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure and thank you for being on the program. And thank you at home for listening. And of course to Pitt for helping us put it all together. And so that's it from us. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow night with Full Works at 8 o'clock and uh, of course every night of the week I'll be there and then on Saturday morning for Composers A to Z and Sunday evening with People of Note. And I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. Keep listening to Classic 1027.